Hello, you are listening to KPMG's Delivering Digital podcast, a podcast for CIOs and technology leaders who are facing the unique challenges of delivering digital transformation in a large organization. We focus on your issues, giving you practical, independent advice. I'm Colm O'Neill, and I'm joined today by Graham Fagan, who is the Group Director of Enterprise Technology and Cloud Engineering at AIB. Good morning, Graham. Good morning, Colm. I thought we might start with you, Graham, and your career. Um, you've had an interesting career to date, covering a number of different industries. You might talk us through how all that unfolded. Yeah. Um, graduated from computer science, um, although never, up until probably about 18, never had much of an interest in technology. <laughs> but I found myself in a computer science degree, yeah. uh, one that I had to work very hard at. I wasn't a natural programmer, if you want to put it like that, um, but a really great grounding. And I suppose that's nearly 25 years ago now. And I've been very fortunate over the years to have had you know, a pretty diverse career. I mean, largely all the time in technology in some shape or form. But I've worked supply side and demand side, yeah. which definitely gives you a great grounding. And I probably find that as one of my more enduring um, benefits from my career, where I find myself today. So supply side being where you would have been delivering services into organizations exactly. versus procuring them from organizations. Precisely. And I think when you've worked both sides, you certainly um, have an appreciation of how your suppliers and partners, the types of pressures and demands that they actually have in managing you as a customer. Um, and then equally, when you're working on the uh, supply side, you have to understand how organizations truly make decisions, how they invest, how they govern in those decisions. If you're not in tune with that, you'll find probably the road to success a much harder one. So I think, you know, for me, when I look at my career, I've equally worked for, you know, indigenous organizations and multinationals, which I think from a cultural perspective also gives you a good kind of sense of how the world works and very much across a number of verticals at the same time as well. So I've been in banking and financial services, but I've equally been in telecoms and the actual tech sector as well. So quite a diverse mix. And I suppose when you look at some of the challenges that we're faced with today, I, I find that kind of collection of experience has uh, prepared me well anyway in leading the team that I have. And so you, so you kind of have that diversity, both in you know, geographic diversity, you have you know, supply side, um, delivery side um, the, of, of that, that dynamic too, which kind of brings you to the role you're in today. And you might just give us a little bit of color on, on that role that you have at AIB today. Yeah, so I, I sit within the, the wider, as we would call it, the CTO organization. Um, my boss is the chief technology officer and he sits on the executive committee of the bank, which is great. That's where we would like to think technology actually should sit. Yeah. In terms of my role, I'm responsible for, I suppose, maybe easily explained across four different areas. The service and operations that helps us run the ent entire technology organization. So from our data centers to our service desks, to the people who watch screens 24 seven to make sure we're in, a good, we're in a good position. The underpinning infrastructure that services our channels to market and equally underpin our end user computing environment to ensure our colleagues can continue to, continue to collaborate um, and serve our customers properly. The enterprise applications that they use to do the business of the bank internally day, day to day. And then equally, the ecosystem of technologies 
that enables our developer community to develop great products from a software perspective and bring them to market um, at, at the right pace. Very good. So a, a broad and diverse role there to, to match the broad and diverse career that you've had to date. Yeah, no, it's a great role. And um, bringing us to the subject that we're talking about today, which is digital transformation and some of the unique challenges that um, a large organization faces, I, I thought we might start off by just talking about what exactly is digital transformation. And uh, I thought I'd help you with... Uh, <laughs> Thanks. I, I went and looked for Wikipedia's, <laughs> which is the, you know, the font of all knowledge. And um, they, they would say the adoption of digital technology by a company. That's what defines digital mm. transformation. And it says common reasons for its implementation are to improve efficiency, value, or innovation. Mm. How would you define it, Graham? Yeah, that's not a, not a bad definition of it. I suppose it's probably one of the most misunderstood terms of our generation from a technology point of view. Um, everybody has a slightly different definition of it, which actually therein is probably a good insight because it's very broad and it means something different depending on what organization you're in or what part of or what role you play in an organization. I think, and it's something I would always encourage my team is to have the, the broadest possible view of what it means. Um, you shouldn't limit it by just your own kind of horizon. Yeah. I'd break it out, the best way I've heard it explained, I'd break it out across four areas. To transform your products, to better engage your customers, to empower your employees, and to optimize your operation. So that definition, kind of, you know, if you work out from the products and customer back in, you can see it deals with pretty much every layer that you should be concerned with. And actually, in very simple terms, I would just say digital transformation, when you boil it down, is about making things better. Better cost to serve, you know, um, less time for customers to wait to get things done, less errors in the system. And when, when you think about that, you know, the definition you have there is quite broad. Mm. And, and you could start to think then that digital transformation is not just digital transformation. It's much broader than that in the organization as well. Um, is, that, is that your experience in terms of, you know, the impact of digital um, being so pervasive across organizations that it, it impacts all aspects of an organization's operations, not just the technology? Oh, very much so. And it's not purely the remit of the technology organization. It is a genuine organizational effort because I suppose the, the mindset of the organization has to be digital. You know, that's, as I say, not, again, just not the remit of the technology organization. I think the processes of the organization have to be digital ready. You know, you can take legacy processes and overlay them on very capable technology probably not to a great result. So when you unpack all of that, it's very much an organizational mindset and an organizational movement really in terms of digital transformation. Um, I, as I say, that's where it comes back for me to having the broadest possible view of what you mean by that. And so when you're, you're in the technology organization, how, how do you mobilize the whole organization behind a transformation of that nature? Because sometimes people can think, digital transformation, that's the technology organization's job, we'll keep running the business and they'll, they will deliver us the, the systems and the, you know, the IT product, so to speak, that we need to, um, to deliver against. But you know, 
it sits over there somewhere. Yeah, I think from, I can only speak from my own point of reference. I would say from an AIB perspective, we're lucky that it's very much a, it's a top down and kind of bottom up piece. I think a top down perspective, if you look at our executive committee and the, the level of interest in the digital, uh, in the area of digital and digital transformation, um, it's quite, it's quite significant. Yeah. So we're lucky in that regard that we're not, I suppose, working against the tide. But then equally, you know, if you go down, I suppose, across the organization, you were trying to create kind of a, a movement and a kind of fer and fertile ground for people to, you know, express their own talents uh, in a way that translates a kind of digital impact. And I think you can probably see that as well globally now in the, we're in the era of the citizen developer, where people are being equipped with coding skills, you know, RPA type capability, visualization techniques, where in some levels it's kind of getting democratized. So it's very much a top-down and bottom-up approach. And um, from an AIB point of view, we're lucky with regards to the focus we have across the, across the wider organization on it. So it's being led from the top and, you know, the, the kind of it's a broad based transformation program as opposed to just a technology. Oh, very, very much program. so. Yeah, 100 percent. And, you know, there's always a push pull aspect of it. You know, there is very much an agenda that we need to serve. But then equally, we won't be slow in coming forward with ideas that might be kind of, you know, somewhat left the field or, you know, um, not necessarily, you know, part of a wider plan but we might feel they're actually they're good things that we should be thinking of yeah and just maybe to, to um, pull on a couple of the threads that you you referenced there one of them is process um, you know it it's often something that's left behind and people digitize what are mm. legacy processes and um, without first of all understanding how to how to um you know optimize and make those yeah. efficient first and make them ready for digital how, what's what's your experience of that been and, and and how have you seen that done successfully yeah i, I think you know there'll, there'll always be a mix of items in that space sometimes you know even as an established organization we're starting some brand new things i think that provides an opportunity to develop things in a very digital way from the very start so from the ground up from the ground up absolutely you know in terms of the not just the technology but the processes the the think the general thinking around that and the experience we want customers to have then i suppose in a, in a slightly more brownfield context where you've got to go in and upgrade maybe technology that might be coming to end of life you know you have to bring and it's a continuous effort to be quite honest with you because sometimes the technology piece is the easiest piece to put in place but I think you know there are techniques you know we would be very focused on design thinking um, UX really looking at customer journeys and employee journeys yeah. so just getting both sides of it right yeah um, but I think those techniques keep you can be your conscience yeah and keep you honest around what you're really trying to do that the the processes the data etc you need to sit around that technology is at an equal level to what you've uh, in place yeah and that, that was maybe the other thing i wanted to pick up on was you know that whole concept of um inside out transformation so you know people often talk about digital transformation in the context of customer centricity and creating yeah. a customer-centric organization and um, 
and sometimes can miss the opportunity to transform the employee experience, which then creates the yeah. that, that organization that is you know a truly digital organization. And you, you've referenced that a couple of times in the chat so far. You might maybe give us a bit of color on that. Yeah, and I can understand. You know, most organizations will gravitate to the customer channels. You know, because because there's a focus on serving the customer and customer is king, whatever way you want to put that. But when you look internally and go back to some of those things I mentioned at the start, you know, in terms of optimizing your operations and empowering your employees, you know, in even in the most digital of organizations, those two dimensions are really important in serving the customer. Because there's probably some whatever the customer might do in a channel might end up in some sort of fulfillment. Yeah. And if your operations are not optimized at least it would probably take longer to do, right? Um, equally, you know, what customers can't do or need help on, you know, from a digital channels perspective, we will try and move them into assisted channels like the contact center. So again, if you're not empowering your employees from a contact center perspective, you will have, you will have challenges there. So I think it's trying to see that in a very holistic way rather than just customer or employee or operations. It's, it's the three of them together. Yeah, because your your customers or your employees serve your customers, and if they're not enabled to be able to serve them in a digital way, then the whole digital experience basically breaks down when they contact a Precisely. somebody who works in the organisation. Precisely. And is is there anything that you found particularly powerful in that kind of uh, you, you know uh, the, um, the the bringing to life of that digital employee um, uh, or that digital? Em- employee experience that's been um, helpful to you? Yeah, I, look, I think COVID was the ultimate stress test of it. And coming into COVID, we were quite fortunate that we had been running what we had called the Digital Workplace Program probably for about 15 months prior to COVID. Mm-hmm. So we had a really good momentum in that space. That was fortuitous, wasn't it? It was, yeah. <laughs> you know, you have to be lucky. Yeah. And we were, we started off on a multi-year um, effort um, she was supported by yourselves very centrally on it and we were trying to reimagine a program that was probably going to take a number of years uh, and we were expecting we would have to have I suppose a long term view of where it was going to en- end up but equally short term kind of value kind of um, dropped in at the appropriate points and we'd made really good progress during those first 15 months and we'd been experimenting yeah. we'd been trying out and we kept coming back to let's not make this about the technology whilst it was very important let's make this about a user experience program and then lo and behold COVID came along and just was the ultimate stress test of our thinking and it worked i suppose i'd like to think you know it worked extremely well we served the organization really well but we didn't push technology at people during that period whilst it might have been the most acceptable time to do it because people just wanted help but what we did do was, you know, in a, in a number of different kind of areas, there was a number of different moments of truth for us. One of them would be we deployed major laptop program, um, major supply chain issues. We were able to kind of get 9,000 laptops and in the space of six weeks, deploy them from soup to nuts out to our colleagues without a zero touch, appro- with a zero touch approach. Yeah. And you were asking people who had never enrolled a laptop before in the likes of Office 365, to basically take 12 steps to do that. And you know that might seem like a very simple thing, 
but we were very considered about how our colleagues felt right in the middle of COVID, people arriving at their door, the pressures they were feeling in doing their job, and then being asked to do some specific technology work. Yeah. And we put UX right at the heart of that. And the level of feedback has been fantastic. And that's just one moment of truth, but it is truly walking in the shoes of the end user that enabled you to do that in the right way. It's been, it's been an amazing time really, Graham, in, in so, you know, the, that whole lockdown time and the, the way it accelerated digital transformation and accelerated those mm. types of programs that you're talking about. But also that, I think the empathy that we had as we were deploying technology yeah. into that environment as well. I don't know if it was of the time, but it certainly feels like it was of the time that we, we, were, we were even more empathetic for sure to yeah. creating a user experience that would be yeah. um, world class at that time. Yeah, and you know, from that day when people went off site at scale for us, you know, the first thing we, we had, we, we had what we were calling our three C's and we, we added a fourth one, yes, <laughs> some way through. But our whole focus was keeping people initially connected to the bank, taking the stress away there and the likes of our remote access investments, etc., had made a big difference. Secondly, then keeping people communicating. And we had thousands of telephony interventions from agents going remote who we'd never had a remote agent ever prior to that, um, to people just simply trying to do their role. And then that moved on into collaboration. How could we really use that period as an opportunity to do things from a collaboration perspective that we couldn't do before? And then we moved into, we added the fourth C as things progressed and as expectations actually grew during the period. And we called it the curate phase, right? Okay. It was the best C we could find. <laughs> and what we actually meant by that was we'd established a platform and a capability during that period that then the different units within AIB who have specific, I suppose you want to call it personalities uh, of their own and different customers, we've B2B, B2C, that they would need specific interventions then um, to sustain it. So that's the phase we've kind of moved into now where we're working on very much more personalized uh, experiences for each of the units. And uh, at all times, the user experience piece has been to the fore. Top of the agenda. And adoption. Adoption is something that we would have had a good sense of prior to COVID, but really came to the fore during it in terms of really making sure that the technology landed with people and they were able to use it in their own context. Very good. I'm going to keep on your theme of C's and, and talk about confidence. Um, yeah. Because I've heard you speak at events before, and one of the things that you um, put right up front is the whole area of security and the cyber threat and so on and so forth. And, it, and your ability to deal with that really does give you the confidence to mm -hmm. continue driving um, digital transformation through an organization. You might just give us a few thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think, you know, anybody in the industry at the moment would, would probably feel that we're at a heightened level of focus. You know, you look even this year alone, maybe they meant the zero day vulnerabilities versus last year seems to be up quite yeah. significantly. You've also had some local um, very public related kind of uh, security impacts mm -hmm. with the HSE and then more broadly, even the colonial pipeline piece of the US. So they're, they're all kind of headline items. But I think in terms of the the increased digitalization agenda with that brings the need and importance to ensure that the cyber and wider resilience agenda, which yeah. it's part of, at least keeps pace, if not ahead of, 
that digitalization ambition. I think that, in very simple terms, that's just really important. Because effectively, as you digitize your business, you're open up, opening up more and more fronts on t- of your organization to the outside world. Absolutely. And where, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, whilst you were still, we probably weren't talking about digital transformation as much, but we were still very reliant on technology. You could probably rely on human resilience uh, a little bit more in a continuity sense than maybe you can do today. So that's an important, for me, just an important kind of mindset to have. And I think the, the other part of that mindset is to work on the basis that, you know, it's only a matter of time before your own organization is targeted. And that, that's not in any way to try to be alarmist about it. Yeah. I just think that's the, the mindset that you need to be in, in the cyberspace, if you are going to do everything that you should do to protect your own organization. So your, so your mindset is, it's going to happen. I need to prepare for it, as opposed to, Absolutely. I hope it doesn't happen, but I'll have some preparatory work done in you know, case. I think you have to be very much on the front foot in, in all aspects of it. And security is not the sole remit of the security team in your organization. Genuinely, security is, everybody, is everybody's job. Yeah. Because everybody you know, has a specific view of the, the wider digital and tech landscape in your organization and you need them alert to, you know, it might be a phishing email that comes in. Yeah. They might be that point of contact for that. So you need everybody tuned in to that. I think that's, that's the best posture to have. And then equally from a tech organization perspective and you look at the whole DevSecOps movement, which might sometimes feel a little bit of a, a highbrow kind of term, but in reality, what you're, what you're saying there in very simple terms is you're getting the right people from the technology organization, security, dev, tech, all together much earlier and you're designing security in rather than seeing as something to be retrofitted down the road. And, and do you have any like practical examples of you know, how, how you bring that to life? So you, you've talked about you know, security running at least at the pace of, if not a little ahead of, um, and you've talked about security being, you know, the um, you know the mandate for the whole organization, not just the secure the part of the organization that has security in its title. Yeah. In in reality, what what are the kind of things you do to bring that to life? And sometimes, you know, we can talk about the real the, the big things that go on, but there's probably lots of small things that that really matter. And something we would have done quite recently with a lot of people working remote. Uh, you know, everybody knows that the drill of when you're logging in and you've got to take out your token and put in your token and it can be quite taxing at times, especially if you're doing it remote and you're doing it multiple times a day. So what we've actually implemented recently is biometrics in that space. Okay. To authenticate you coming in. Yeah. And it's it's very smart, it's very easy to use. So actually there's a really important security measure mm-hmm. in there, this as secure as you can be. But actually, the experience has gone down so well. So it's much easier. All the feedback we've yeah. received has been phenomenal. Yeah, and the, and, and the technology is there. Well, that's it's using the technology. It's making the experience of it really smart, so people can authenticate, you know, through their Apple Watch, mm-hmm. through their phone. It's much easier, less taxing, uh, but equally much more secure. So just a small example, but I, I think it's a good one. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get down now to to brass tax, Graham. 
we've talked about a lot of things, customer experience, user experience, security. In the end of the day, that costs a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in a large organization, there's so many demands for IT spend from you know, existing infrastructure that needs to be maintained to you know, the standard kind of upgrades and amendments you need to make to your applications and your, mm-hmm. and your IT systems. And then on top of that, you're trying to secure the necessary funding to digitally transform the organization. Mm. Yeah. I'm sure you're probably going through some sort of a budget setting round at the moment and, and you'll have your finance colleagues um, looking at you at the sheer scale of spend that you need to deliver what the business says it needs. Yeah. How do you approach that? Yeah, I think there's probably m- multiple levels to that. And I think the the first one is, you know, that ecosystem of people who are involved in, you know, the, 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 the whole planning process. You should be working with them all year long, you know, in terms of ensuring the proper understanding of the respective challenges each, or each part of the organization has. That shouldn't just come about in the middle of a, an investment planning or budgeting or budgeting process. It would be the wrong place for it to, to come up. Um, and I think when you're working in that way as well, uh, you build up the right rapport. You build up, uh, I suppose, a, a sense of what the, the, the challenges are. And equally, you enable them to become more in tune with the types of demands that you have in running technology. Because in running technology, you need that multi-year horizon. You might be still going through annual budgeting cycles, but they should have an appreciation of that multi-year horizon because some of the programs you're running, it takes multiple years to, to land them. And there'll be twists and turns along the way where you need a degree of flexibility from them about how you go about it. Um, equally, you've got to see things from their side you know, where they're not technologists. And, you know, at times technology organizations can be looked at, you know, in a certain way. So I think you have to build up the trust, give them a sense of how the operation runs, give them a sense of always of optionality. Yeah. That there's not only just one option. And, you know, I suppose from a technology point of view, there is a danger with engineering, etc., that you're always looking or there's a sense that you're always looking for the perfect solution, whereas maybe good is good enough. There is a tendency to go in with just an absolute solution. This is what we need to do, and this is the answer, and this is how much it costs. Yeah. But you're saying maybe bringing options to the table and, and, and helping. bring them on the journey. Yeah. Because you might have arrived at absolutely the right decision, but if that's the first time that they've seen you and they haven't been part of the decisioning process or they haven't seen it played out, then that's probably not an optimal way to go about it. Yeah. So I think involving involving people earlier and helping build an appreciation of what you're doing rather than arriving in with the the whole piece polished is is for me a better way to go about it. it's more raw but it's a it's a better way and you shouldn't be afraid of doing that so i guess it's given a degree of transparency to what you're doing and what the organization's trying to achieve yeah. and then optionality uh, absolutely so, so very key, in key ingredients and equally then i think uh, track record if you can do that over a time frame, track record does build up. And equally, it, within that track record, it is coming back to prove that you have spent the money wisely, that the benefits have been delivered. And I think if you do that in a very kind of intentional way over time with that group of people, you just build up a, a level of trust that, that makes things, relatively speaking, an easier road to travel.
So maybe try and pull it all together now, Graham. You know, we've we've talked about a number of number of subjects here. Um, you know, ranging from, you know, how you get the money to do what you want to do. Your kind of um, the whole area of security, the I- concept of um, inside-out development of digital transformation. Mm. Back to what digital transformation is. Putting all that together, what what would your advice be to? people who are CIOs or senior technology leaders in large organizations who are trying to get digital transformation done in their organization? Yeah, probably multiple things in my mind, um, column around it. I think, first of all, not to come at it from the position that the grass is greener on the other side, that everybody else has it worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone's struggling. Everybody's struggling, you know, in their own way. Yeah. And it is a continuous, um, it's a continuous effort. Right. I think that's a really brilliant point because you, you, you see so many of these beautiful use cases that would make you feel like everybody else has it sorted and you're the only one oh, struggling. I'm fatigued by them, to be honest. And I think you have to come at it from that perspective. And equally, you know, those who might look like they have it worked out now, you know, even what we might have regarded as cloud native or digital native companies four or five years ago, they are now well-established companies with their own legacy debt, etc., that they have to deal with. Yeah. So year to year, things things absolutely change. So I think that's one key point for me. Uh, the second piece kind of attached to that one is people need to have a confidence, firstly, to think for themselves authentically. You don't want to be following somebody else's blueprint. Uh, you have to try to establish your own. Of course, you need to validate that, test it with the right organizations around you. But you have to have gone on that journey and had the confidence to go on the journey to think it through. Um, it just, it's just, it's far too um, dangerous to be just yeah. blindly adopting somebody else's blueprint or whatever you plan, whatever you want to call it. I think that's, that's really important. The, I suppose the COVID period brought has been the ultimate stress test. But what it has shown is, whilst for me it was a health crisis, it was largely an infrastructure driven response. And from our perspective, we made some great technology infrastructure investments three, four years ago. I didn't know about a pandemic use case (laughs) at that time. But what we developed in was the flexibility. All those words you say, flexibility, agility, you hear them bandied about a lot, but they were actually genuine um, ingredients we were trying to build in for whatever might come. And I suppose the lesson therein really is in the infrastructure space, as you've said before yourself, by the time you know what you need, it's too late. You have to, in a very risk calculated kind of way, place some very targeted investments at a foundational level to enable the organization to pivot whatever way and whatever might come. So there's, there's some specific things, you know, I could keep going, but there's some specific things in that kind of in terms of advice that I'd really uh, you know, encourage people to look it's at. A, it's a really, interesting point because there's there's two points there right one is as you as you decide what you're going to invest in and um, you have to have an opinion of what the future is going to bring yeah. and invest against that opinion the, the the second point there is you know probably the most valuable thing for an organization now is an ability to deal with uncertainty yeah and building resilient organizations that are capable of flexing and changing is probably one of the most valuable Precisely. in that regard yeah and that's where they've found 
you know, when I say take the broadest possible view of digital, I think that's really important that you leave nothing, you know, off the table. You, you consider that end to end out of course of a, of a major challenge. You know, it's important. That's the time to be considering it. And then really look at the found, what's in that foundation that you need. You know, culture, we know, is one of the hardest things. It's not the soft thing. The, the workplace, how the workplace is actually set up to uh, foster collaboration. You know, and just what you guys are doing yourselves with Platform X, yeah. like it's a great example of that. Uh, look, trying to attract the best talent, the ecosystem of partners that you surround yourself with, you will not have all the items worked out yourself. Mm -hmm. And at a minimum, even if you did, you'd need to test them with somebody else to make sure you're on the right track. So that ecosystem, you shouldn't let that just organically evolve around you. I think you need to be really intentional about the capabilities you have built into that ecosystem. And again, for us during COVID, that ecosystem was absolutely pivotal enables to do some of the things that we did yeah very good listen graham i really appreciate your time and before we wrap up i'm going to give you a few quick fire questions here Ho hopefully hopefully not not too difficult but just thought it'd be interesting to kind of um, get a get a few more um little bits from you first one is what book are you reading at the moment i'm just finished a book called how bad do you want it okay it's a book about endurance athletes uh written by a chap called matt fitzgerald uh, he's a, I think, pretty acclaimed uh, sports writer in the area of endurance sports. Yeah. So it's 12 chapters, about 12 specific races concerning certain individuals, and very much uh, a case of mind over matter and how people, um, it's the concept of perceived effort, how they kind of cap out when ultimately could go a lot further. Or they could go further. That's interesting. And what's, what's the name of that again? The how bad do you want how it? How bad do you want it? Um, and then, Best advice you ever received? I've been lucky. I've been around a lot of really good people over the years who've definitely imparted a lot of uh, good advice. Uh, I'd probably share one maybe with about someone you know as well, Gary Keegan. Oh, yes. And Gary, who worked with a lot of um, athletes at an elite level. But he always said, you have to, coming down the mountain figuratively, is probably more dangerous than going up the mountain. And that to me sticks in my mind for a number of different reasons, because there has been probably times in my own career and personal life where, you know, after a major deliverable or after a major event, you didn't really look around the corner and think about what was coming next. So I find times when that really resonates with me. And I actually think from a COVID or post COVID world, it's, a, it's an important piece for people not to just assume things will go back to normal or it will just happening naturally you you kind of have to plan for coming out of that period yeah um so yeah definitely one that resonates with me i thought was a good piece of advice gary, gary is a brilliant a brilliant man and mentor isn't yeah, he? yeah absolutely time in boxing through to high performance sports through to business mentoring he's, he's brilliant um, and, and a final one for you um what do you think might surprise us in 2022 um for me i, I think the the point around surprises is interesting and it mightn't be directly answering your question, but I think people need to stop being surprised at surprises, right? <laughs> so that, that, that kind of VUCA terms, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, that's the world we now live in. And I think there will be more surprises ahead, hopefully not pandemics, 
but there'll be more surprises. And I think we have to move out of the mindset of, I could have done without this, to actually, there's an opportunity in this. And I think we've such big challenges out there, you know, globally, climate, power, etc. There's going to be much more that comes our way. And I think if you step into it and you establish the foundations and you have a resilient organization, you should step in and see it as an opportunity and embrace it. And I think that's what will separate those who really succeed from those that don't, 22, 23 and beyond. Well, on that note, Graham, I think we will, we will leave it at that. I'd like to thank you very much for joining us here today on KPMG's Delivering Digital podcast, where we focus on your issues, giving you practical, independent advice. 